0: And this session, we're going to be talking about balancing the home and garden. Actually, it's going to be balancing and preparing the home garden, balancing our home lives with a garden, making sure that we are doing this um, successfully in a way that's not overrunning our whole lives. And then some tips on planning and preparing your garden. And in this, in the program booklet, you'll notice that the next session after this is called Seed Starts and Bed Preparation, where we're getting into some real nitty-ditty pra- practical bed preparation techniques and starting your plants and stuff like that. And I've actually jumped up the seeds part to the end of this session. So at the end of this session, we're going to be talking about seeds. How do you choose what seeds to grow? Um, how do you choose seeds that are, are good and healthy and organic. We highly promote organic seeds. There's a whole question about GMOs. Some of you might be wondering, what about GMO seeds, and hybrid seeds, and what do all those mean? So we'll touch on some of that in this session as well. But I'll go ahead and invite my dad to come on up here. This is my dad, Edwin. My mom was supposed to be here, too. I don't know if she's going to make it. She was um, helping out with another, um, another session just this last time, I believe. My dad, Edwin, and we are from just a quick introduction to us. if you uh, haven't heard of us before, we are from Bountiful Blessings Farm. It's a farm that is just down the road from here, actually, it's about forty five minutes away. Um My uncle started the farm as an organic strawberry farm about i don't know how many years ago it was nineteen ninety eight was when the farm started, and over the years. It has grown. We joined, my dad partnered with him and later joined him, our family joined him in 2006. And since it's diversified until where we're now growing uh, over 50 to 70 different varieties of vegetables and herbs and berries. So that just gives you a little background to where we're coming from. And we grow all year round uh, through the summer and through the winter. So... Let's jump in. Do, Dad, do you have anything you want to say, starting off for the little introduction?
1: Yeah, I'll d- I'll just say um, the the topic has has intrigued me and and challenged me because uh, as as Paul said, we're our farm grows year round and and markets year round. But uh, my brother John grows and markets for spring and summer, and and we grow and market for fall and winter. And we share the farm resources that way. Um, you know, we can use the same equipment, but not be competing quite as much as if we were growing for the same seasons. Anyways, we are we are in the thick of our season right now, and um, like I said, the the whole idea of balance, um, it, life doesn't always se- doesn't seem so balanced to me right now. <laughs> so, we'll we'll share a little bit about that. So the
0: whole topic of balancing the home and garden. A little introduction. Uh, it's the, really the first step in setting up your garden is figuring out what you're going to do, planning it, and laying out your garden keep, and keeping it up should be an easy and pleasant experience in your life, right? At least that's, what, that's the goal, isn't it? We want it to be as easy and as pleasant as possible to balance and to plan our gardens. So planning on paper or with a program, is important. There are programs that you can get online for for planning your garden and stuff like that, or are you simply doing it on paper. I highly suggest uh, planning it, putting it into a calendar, and we'll touch a little bit more on that, I believe. Um, set a whole year out in advance, and know what resources, you, that way you'll know what resources you'll need ahead of time and how much time to give to each aspect of the garden. It just gives you a big picture of what's going on for that year. So you're not just constantly uh, trying to figure out what you're gonna do the week of. So here are some factors to think about when planning out your garden. And this is a little overview of what we're gonna go over in the planning the garden section. First of all, taking other commitments into account. What other commitments do you have in your life right now? Or what other commitments uh, are potentially in your life that You need to take into account because the reality is the garden takes time, right? And you need to know how much time you can give to that and look at your life and see is there something that needs to give to put time into the garden. Anyways, we'll talk about that more in that one. Then choosing what to grow is a factor. Labor requirements, different crops require different amounts of labor. And when you're growing, if you're growing a summer garden or a winter garden, um, they take different labor requirements your garden size, how big you're going to grow your garden. This was a big one for us that we've uh, been thinking about and talking about for a while. Of course, we're doing it on a farm scale, but the same principle applies when it comes down to our home gardens. And I, I, have, I have an online gardening course where I teach people how to grow their own food. And I've had someone contact me and say, you know, the garden just isn't the peaceful environment that people talk about. You know, I I, I get stressed when I'm out there <laughs> because, you know, there's so much to do and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And um, we don't want that experience, right? We want it to be a nice... It's going to be hard work, whatever way that you put it. But having a good plan and choosing how, how big your garden size can be a big key here and making it a good experience for you. Then there's laying it all out and... Setting up your planting schedule, all right, so let's jump right in with taking other commitments into account, yeah,
1: you know what what Paul's outlining here as far as planning goes i I think it's important to to recognize that if you're just beginning, you might not know all the things that are going to be involved. Um, I would encourage you plan to the best of your ability but don't lo- don't let your you know what you don't know stop you from trying what what is going to help you really know what is needed and what's involved is just jumping out there and doing it and and consider consider that that this is an experiment you're you're learning it's a it's a learning process this is my wife Jennifer so I I want to encourage you. You know, if you if you don't feel like you can perfectly, you know, outline everything and plan ahead, don't let that stop you. Don't let that hinder you. Uh, the best thing you can do is is jump in, see what you can learn from this year, and you know, don't let things that went wrong this year discourage you. It's it's a chance for you. God gave us seasons a reason there's we can we can always try again I think that's one important lesson in in, in gardening there's there's always another chance to, to try again and do it better
0: all right so taking commitments other commitments into account what are some of the, your other commitments that you might have uh, in, in your life. There is, of course, going to be your home and family. Those are daily commitments that, that we have. And thankfully, with the garden, you can include your family in that, uh, hopefully. And it can become a family thing that you're doing, not just by yourself. There's church commitments that may factor into your life. There are school, social and school activities. And, you know, how full how full is your life? What... The the purpose of this slide is really just to give you a little, you know, think about your life, especially, and this is especially for people that are just jumping into the garden right now, just starting out. And even for those that are um, in the, you know, even if you are gardening a lot right now, it's something to consider. Look at your life. What is going on right now in your life? What kind of social um, activities are taking up your time? How much time can you realistically give to the garden? And, um... More importantly, how can, you, how can you prioritize for your garden? Where is the garden going to fit in? These are just some questions. How much time can you give to the garden? And how important is the garden to you? Can some of your social activities um, suffer so that you can give time to your garden? Because you're going to have to fit it in somehow. And in our lives here in America, our lives are extremely full. It's just a fact. Our lives as farmers are extremely full, and I know that other people, especially if you're working a full-time job or something like that, your life is extremely full. And you're going if you're going to have a successful garden that's going to be beautiful and that you're going to enjoy, you're going to have to prioritize and commit to it. Just like if you went out and you got a a dog um, at a um, you know at a pound or something like that, if you if you bought a dog. You're going to have to prioritize that into your life now. You're going to have to feed it. You're going to have to take time to train it. Whatever it is, the garden is very similar. You're going to have to take time to put into it. So um, moving on from that, that that was just a quick overview there. Choosing what to grow. And there are some determining factors here. Uh, Or I should ask, dad or mom, do you want to add anything to the prioritizing.
1: Yeah, I um, like I said, I, I've been thinking about the whole concept of balancing. And I think one thing that's important to keep in mind when you're gardening is that, and, and I think this is true in all of life, that it seems that balance is an ideal that, at least for us, it, it seems like we, we are less often in the ideal than trying to reach it. I don't, do, do any of you identify with that? <laughs> and but I, you know, I I don't know if we can ever actually be in the ideal. I mean, we we get there sometimes, but it seems we we move out of it quickly. And the whole, it, in my mind, the ideal of of balance means kind of an even keel. But but the system that God set up um, doesn't allow that for us. God gave us seasons. And in those seasons, there are times that require intense activity, and then there are other times that don't require intense activity. And so, I'm I'm thinking that when we think of balance, maybe we need to think of of not just the short term in the moment picture. We need to take a long term view of things, as seasons, as the, the the idea of seasons gives us. Um, so so. We do need to have priorities straight, but at the same time, we, we just have to accept that it is a fact that there are going to be times of intense activity and other times where things aren't, aren't we're not under the stress and pressure. All right,
0: moving on to choosing what to grow. Um, some determining factors for choosing what to grow is your climate, where you're living. Um, do you live in a place where, um, well, for most of us here, it's going to be Northern America somewhere, <laughs> so that's a little bit different. If On a broader scale, you know, if, if you're going to the tropics, that is something, you, especially you're going to consider your climate is different there than here. Even Northern, you know, Minnesota is different than Tennessee. Choosing your climate, um, that will determine, to a certain extent, what you can grow, what time of year it is. It, is a a factor into choosing what plants you're going to grow, the space that you have to grow in, and the last one, it simply comes down to your choice of what what you want to grow. And here's what I would suggest you do, and that is that you make a chart of what vegetables grow in your area and graph out their growing seasons on on paper. and this can start stimulating your thinking and help you to decide what to grow and when to grow it. And if you want just a quick, how many of you know the difference between uh, the crops that like to grow in the winter versus the crops that like to grow in the summer? Okay, so most of us do. Some of us maybe are just a little bit, you know, at what what's the difference between them? I'll tell you a quick little trick to knowing what crops like the cold better and what crops like the the warm better. And that is the cold vegetables are going to be more of your leafy greens, your leaves and roots. So your carrots, your turnips, your radishes, those root vegetables, and then your leafy greens like your kale, collard, lettuce, spinach, anything that you're harvesting the leaves off of, Swiss chard, those are more of your cold-tolerant vegetables that you'll be growing in the winter. Uh, Flip that around, most of your fruits are going to be grown in the summer. So your squash, your tomatoes, your cucumbers, you know, all those fruits that you're picking off the plants, those are your summer vegetables that like the heat. So that's just a quick little... um,
1: That, of course, is not true across the board. There there are plenty of exceptions, but it's a general rule.
0: For instance, some of your root vegetables, like your potatoes and sweet potatoes, you're going to grow in the summer. Um,
1: At least sweet potatoes in the fall.
0: Yeah, so uh, some of those you're going to be harvesting in the fall. All right, so that's a quick, uh, so just a real r- little recap on choosing what to grow. Map it out, gr- figure out when you want to grow your garden, find out what's going to be growing in that time, map the growing season out, and then start choosing what, what you want to grow. And when it comes down to it, I would encourage you to grow things that you enjoy, that you like to eat, something that now... I'm not, I I don't say that to contradict what was just said in the last seminar, you know, in the video where they were sharing about how the family grew peas and the girl didn't like the peas, but now she likes them because, you know, we, uh, my dad especially is, uh, 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 what would you call it?
2: Um, The word. He's he's adventuresome.
0: (laughs) Adventuresome. That's a perfect (laughs) word. My dad is adventuresome, um, wanting to grow new things. Figure out what is something new that we could grow, and so we have a lot of fun. Do you want to share a little bit about that, Mom, about the new things that we grow? You
2: well, did that little Christmas tree-shaped cauliflower. He thought our customers would really enjoy, and maybe we could put it in at Christmas. It's time. A Romanesco. <laughs> Romanesco cauliflower. 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 It's really
0: interesting. It has—it's like these spirals on the cauliflower that go up. It's just fascinating. It's uh, every
2: little—I mean, every little it, part of the. Spiral. It's
1: called a fractal food.
2: Amazing. And it's 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 light green. green. (laughs) It's 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 amazing. But um, yeah, Edmund just says, I think this would give our customers joy. Let's do it. (laughs) So
0: So the garden, the garden is the perfect place to be adventuresome, to try something new. But I would encourage you to grow a significant amount of things that you really enjoy. And so that way you're going to be excited about them. Um. All right, moving on to labor requirements.
2: How much when? joy people love color colorful beets you know the colorful rainbow chard Um, colorful sweet potatoes if you're roasting them there are many different colors from the white ones purple you know the golden and the very orange so yeah
0: how many of you knew that there were white beets hey more people than i thought yellow beets yeah. Yeah. So we've been growing white, yellow, and red beets. You know what? I didn't know that there were white and yellow beets a few years ago. I honestly didn't.
2: And the chioggia beet, which is red and white, uh, circular candy. Yeah. So, and I, the golden beets have a red tinge. Have you not? They're just beautiful orb.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Dad, would you like to touch on some of the factors when it plays into labor requirements?
1: Yeah, we, we learned this the hard way one year we put in a massive sweet potato crop and it it needed to be harvested harvested at the same time we were under intense pressure to get a lot of other things transplanted and we were starting to market our stuff and the the labor crunch was incredible and i didn't know how we were going to live through that <laughs> so um the, like you know each crop is going to have times that require intense labor and i would encourage you to to look at that and you know if you if you're making your schedule like paul said you can you can know i'm i'm needing time to transplant here and to to cultivate and and then to harvest and and just take that into account when you're planning so that you don't have a whole bunch of labor um needs at the same time. Just
2: comment on the sweet potatoes. Um, you're just learning when you're farming, and you're trying to figure out a balance, right? How much can you handle? How much labor? And we were trying to be able to support Paul on the farm, and we are trying to figure out what to do, and Edwin put in a bumper crop, and it, it was a great crop. But just weeding it alone took hours and hours. How many rows, honey, did you do? Thirteen. 13, how long each? 340 Three hundred forty foot rows to weed with cultivating. We had no plastic on it. And in the heat of the summer days, I would be so drenched by 1030 in the morning, I would just pour water on myself and get back out there. So when it comes to harvest, you don't want to let your harvest not be harvested. After you've invested so much, right? It's like you're investing in your kids. Do you give up when they're a teenager? Are you kidding? No way! You know it's like I'm going to get out there and harvest those, and over my dead body, you know. Almost, it's just like I'm going to put everything into it. So you have to really count the cost because you don't want to kill yourself doing it. But God really helped us. He brought out a number of people that helped us harvest that crop, and I think it was over four thousand pounds. No, at, at eight thousand. Yeah. I mean, it was too much for us, is what I'm saying. And we are on our hands and knees harvesting. So. Yes, is that said enough? you You're invested in something. don't make it too big, especially if you're somebody who doesn't want to see something die.
0: <laughs> and bring it bring it back down to home for those of you that aren't farmers, you can think about um, things like you know what other commitments are, are you running a, a program at your church um, Take that into account when you're planning your garden to find out, you know, if you have to, if that's going to be your greatest harvest time during that same time of that program, you know, you're going to have um, conflicts. Is a question in the back here, or comment? Okay. the The question was, how do you know when to harvest?
1: I, th- just very simply, um, most of the time when you when you buy seeds. They, they will have a days to maturity, and I would just use that for, for starting out. Once, it, once you get more experience, you'll be able to recognize, you know, for, for every plant and every crop, there are different characteristics that you need to look for that let you know that it's time to harvest. But you can learn that best by experience. I would just use the days to maturity to start with t- to guide you.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That was a great one. And just for those that are watching online, um, she was just commenting, with schooling, you have books. Uh, with gardening, there's books too. Go buy some good books um, and study it. Study it out. Learn. There's. I mean, that's why you're here. And uh, you can come and ask us later. We could give you some, some excellent references to good gardening books that you could go out and learn from.
2: I was thinking that she was asking when do you know when to harvest even some of the melons it would be by the leaf drying up on the vine of the plant nearest to the you know to the melon or the garlic wraps how many uh green leaves are left on the plant you you can know when you should harvest um there are ways of knowing but we just learn from each one and we can google things now you know it's really it's really fun (laughs) to get on there and find out you know what's the best way to grow this or When do we harvest, and when is it too late after the frost? Because we have some sun chokes in the ground. I wanted to know, when do I need to harvest them? They said, they can take a couple freezes. Well, we don't have them out of the ground, and we are going to have quite a few freezes. (laughs) Yikes.
0: (laughs) Dad, did you want to say anything else here on the labor requirements? All right. Moving on to your garden size. And this is a huge one. Like I said, this is one that we've been talking about as a family. How big are we going to be doing even our farm, let alone, uh, you know, for your own home garden? And one of the biggest things that I suggest is keeping your garden small to begin with and then grow it over time. Um, If you've been gardening for a little while, then you'll have a little bit of an understanding of how much you can do. But if you're just starting out, um, keep it small and keep it where you can keep on top of it and you'll find a lot more satisfaction in it, and then you can grow it over time.
1: You know, little children often pile their plates full of food and then can't get through it, and we say they have eyes bigger than their stomachs. Um, I realize that that beginning, you know, little young farmers or, or gardeners, I think we have the same problem. Um, our Our eyes are bigger than... Our abilities, uh, you know, at taking care of things. It, it is very easy to put in way more than you can take care of. That it, putting it in is is easy. Yeah, it's following through on it that's a challenge.
0: And, you know, one of the sessions coming up, we're going to be talking about weeds. And that's just one little, one little area. If you put your garden in too big, it can easily get overtaken with weeds because you can't take care of it. But like I was just saying, if you keep it small enough where you can keep on top of it, there's something absolutely satisfying of walking into a garden that's beautiful. And um, I want you to experience that from the start. Uh, for anyone that's just starting right now so that it can be an energizing for you the next season that comes around and you can say, Oh, well I think that I could give a little bit more to this and then you can grow it over time.
2: And gardening is helpful in helping us understand even how to raise children, how we need to space them, what energies it takes. And it, um, there's a quote that says, if you want to know how to parent, watch the gardener. It's a very tender, patient work. And, um, we want to take, usually God gives us one child at a time. Sometimes we get two, but usually not more than that, even at a time. So, yes, to just learn what you need to first on a small scale.
0: Martin Luther once commented on a musician of his time. He said he doesn't let the music control him. He controls the music. And what, let's make your garden be a musical symphony in your life that you control, that your garden doesn't control you, but you have control over your garden and you're, you're making it something beautiful. Don't let the garden control you. Instead, learn how to be the master of the garden. Okay, number five, laying it all out. Um, physically mark out your garden space uh, or, or e- even if it's not like physically marking it out in your mind, you know, mark out where your garden is going to be. I know that's that's really basic but we're just going over some of the basics here. Um, choose the layout of your beds. How are you going to lay them out? How wide are they going to be? Um, what orientation are they going to be? We recommend 30-inch wide beds. And if you are going to do 30-inch wide beds, one of the reasons why we recommend them is because they uh, there are a lot of tools that come at a standard 30-inch wide. And I'm not sure in this lesson, um, I go through some of the... Uh, Um, reasons or in the next one. Um, But if we do, we'll come up to it. There are other reasons why we use a 30-inch wide bed. And if you do, a 20-foot length is ideal for the home size because it's 50 square feet or one-fifth of 100 linear feet. And to you, that might be a bunch of data. But when it comes down to figuring out how much you can harvest from your garden, a lot of times the catalogs are going to give you harvesting Uh, estimates of so much per 100 linear feet or so much per, per, or when it comes down to um, putting on amendments in your garden when you're going to add minerals into your garden rock phosphates and stuff like that. I believe those are those in the linear feet or the square feet? Um, I I believe they say so much per 100 square feet or something like that and so that um, makes it just easy to calculate. Right, or my dad was saying they do it per acre, but it's still a square foot it is are you all tracking with me on that? um does that make sense okay, okay, so in this in the next session, I'll talk a little bit more about the bed spacing and preparing your beds and and the reasons why we go into the thirty inch wide beds. so there are many ways to lay out your garden um like I said, we suggest the thirty inch wide beds, but the the I'm sure probably most of you have heard of square foot gardening. That's also a very viable method for laying out your garden. Um, you can learn more about that. That's something that you can Google. Um, Google square foot gardening, and it's a method for laying out your garden. And how, how much can you grow in certain square foot plots? Um, you can figure out... Yeah,
1: I, I just wanted to make a note here that... There are probably almost as many different ways to farm as there are farmers, you know, or to garden. So there is no one set way. We're, we're using the same laws, but people can use those laws and, and come up with lots of different ways of actually accomplishing the task.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So figure out how big you want your beds, how big you want your walkways. You know, on our farm, we're maximizing space, so our walkways are really small. We have little one-foot walkways that you have to... <laughs> it's kind of tricky when it comes down to harvesting. You're kneeling down in this little one-foot walkway. Um, I was
2: sitting on um, the little cilantro plants while I was harvesting radishes this week yeah. and recognized my foot was getting a little too close.
0: So you don't have to do that, but it depends on how much space, oh. how intensive you want to do Okay, so the question was, would you do it for all kinds of crops, or how do you get like a wheelbarrow in there and stuff like that? Um, we do the 30-inch wide beds for pretty much most all of our crops, except that's our crops that are in, in greenhouses or hoop houses or like you would have in your home garden, you know, beside your house or something like that. When we do field crops, we do larger beds.
1: Well, what we'll do is we'll take the wheelbarrow up to the, the garden area, and then we'll use five-gallon buckets down those walkways.
2: Our guys are idealists, and (laughs) really, really. And a a, a greenhouse, they want to maximize the produce they're going to get out of that because it's a costly piece of equipment, of of real estate, but also your plastic and everything else. So um, they figured out, I mean, they've been studying, and and I I think Elliot Coleman probably encouraged that, the one-foot little pathways.
0: (laughs) But... Those are around between three to four feet, four feet, um, four feet wide. And that is just kind of general. We do have a tractor, that, and that's kind of the general width of the tractor wheels, that the wheels go down. Something, the question was, is that general for most tractors? Not necessarily. You
1: know, a lot of tractors, you can adjust the wheel width um, by turning the wheels around or making other adjustments. So.
2: You know, the size of your spader. And that's what we use for a bed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Good. Good question there. Thanks for asking. Something to know about this, though, to keep in mind, if you are laying out your garden and you're thinking of how big do I want my walkways, all of those walkways, um, there's there's a saying that uh, nature does not like to stay naked or bare. Your ground wants to grow something. And so your walkway is going to be somewhere where it's going to be wanting to grow something. And so if you have these huge walkways, you need a plan to be able to keep up with them. You know, if you can, if you want, uh, one thing that you can do even is if you want your walkway wide enough, you could even make it wide enough to have a little push mower that could go down in between it, you know, and just keep it mowed in between your garden beds. Um, There's someone here that's done that. Um, A friend of ours that just lives not too far from us. And so, um, yeah, th- that's just some thoughts to keep in mind when you're, when you're laying it out.
2: Yeah, other times we put car- uh, cover crop on a walkway, like between the strawberry plants, that's, that's what's, you know, we seed rye or, um, yeah, and that's, it's beautiful. And it does keep the weeds down.
0: And if you don't know what, if you don't know what, it, she my mom was saying that we put a cover crop in between. And if you don't know what a cover crop is, it's a crop that can just be tilled back into the soil and add organic matter back into the soil. All right, moving on here. So choose what works best for you. Um, this is what we do. Is simply our suggestion was the 30 foot wide beds, 20 foot, 30, yeah, 30 inch. That was a good correction there. <laughs> 30-inch wide beds, and um, the 20-foot length is a nice length. That way you're not carrying stuff a huge long distance to your wheelbarrow at the end, too.
2: Well, I just think it's good to clarify that the walkways are a lot larger out in the field. Okay, you can put wheelbarrows through them. You can seed them with cover crop. Um, but they are a lot of a headache to use a, a wheel hoe to weed. Okay, and if, you, if you're if you gonna get ahead of it, you have to do, it's very hard to get ahead of it when you've got a lot to do in your small labor force, because something else is screaming for your attention, like preparing beds over here in time for the seedlings that need to go in, or, or you're rehabilitating you know, a, a part of your farm that's gotten deteriorated. So the weeds, if they just get further up, then you've gotta get them out, and sometimes if you don't even get them out of the field and it rains, they'll re-root. So it's, it's a challenge, is what we're saying. Um But we can do it with god's grace amen
0: amen. all right um here's just some tips. You could graph your garden area on paper with a garden planner uh, to figure out what you're going to grow where and begin deciding what to grow where in your garden. Let's see. Keep in mind the angle of the sun on your garden when you're when you're putting your plants in um you might not want to grow tall crops where they're going to be shading out other smaller crops. So that's just something to keep in mind when you're actually planting your crops in, in your garden. If you're growing corn that's really tall, put it in a place where it's not going to be shading your um, whatever radishes, you know.
1: you know. Someone's asking if we would use black plastic in the walkways. Um, not the Not the black plastic that you use as a mulch because it would tend to wear out by walking on it. But there, there there is something called landscape fabric. And and in certain places we do use that in, in walkways. And that can be helpful. The 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 thing about landscape fabric is that weeds don't grow up through it from underneath, but if it gets a little bit of dirt on top, they, the weeds will will sprout and the roots can go down through it but the plant can't come up through it. So you have to keep it clean or you'll have weeds growing on top of it.
2: Yeah, and you anchor that down. We usually use um, those, ground staples. Yeah, the ground staples, whereas black plastic, it wouldn't be easy to anchor it down. You have to have earth. Great
0: question. Yeah, thanks for asking.
1: I just wanted to say something about orientation of beds. We, we like to run all of our beds north and south um to orient them running north and south so that they get even sun exposure. And this is this we feel is especially important in the winter time so that you don't have some plants on a south side and, and some on a north side of a east-west running bed.
0: Laying it all out. Divide your garden into workable sections. Um, this makes accessing different areas in your garden Easier. Make sure that you can. That's one thing nice with the 30-inch wide beds is you can reach across them fairly easily. If you get up to four-foot wide beds, if you're doing this on a smaller home scale and your bed is four feet wide, it can get kind of hard to reach into the middle of it, and you have, you know you have to go to the other side to get you know um, something from the other side. Um, and then also calculating, dividing your garden into workable sections also helps with calcul. Calculating your production information, how much you're going to be harvesting from your garden. Um, Staying organized is easier, and most importantly, management is much easier. It makes it easier to care for and keep an eye on each crop you are growing, plus it will come in handy for rotating your crops as we will learn about. Okay, so (laughs) this was taken out of my online gardening course, so that, as you'll learn about in a future module, uh, I don't know that we're going to be talking about um, rotating crops in, in our seminars here. Basically, it's the idea that you want to not grow tomatoes in the same place every single year. You want to move them around because they take and give to the soil in different ways than your green beans do. And so you want to be moving them around. That's just... So keep your garden in workable sections. If you're doing it on a home scale, then it might just be your backyard. And that's pretty workable. If you are doing it on a larger scale, you might want to have a little section here that is um, set aside that you that you work on and a little section over here and split it up so you're not just thinking of this one huge massive garden all at once. Um, it's, it's kind of breaking it down into pieces. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking with that? All right. And then number six, setting up your planting schedule. Um, when you plant... Will depend to a certain extent on when you want to harvest. Time to harvest can depend on many different things, including weather, day length, slope of the land, the variety, and many other growth-related factors. Um, Sometimes the best way to find the best planting dates is through other local gardeners. Well, while it's trying to go, that's a that's a really great one. That's a really great point right at the bottom there. Find out where where are gardeners around you that are doing this that are growing, or farmers, and they are a great resource to go over and just make friends with them. You know, the gardening community is uh, is a pretty sharing community. People aren't just, you know, just stuck up on, I'm not going to tell you my secrets. Um, most gardeners and farmers are happy to share with you what works for them, and so that is one of the most invaluable resources that you have in your area is to find people that are doing it close to you, your neighbors.
2: I mean, like, we were we're growing carrots there's a really small window that carrots need to go in in order to thicken up before winter right and you don't want to get them in too early or it's they get really gigantic and odd shaped and so we had a they look like horse carrots so you you just you just have to figure out you know it's nice to talk to each other like one fa- farmer friend just said i just got these in in august and look at them they're enormous and and then we if you miss the window, they don't get big enough. And so we can talk about that with each other. And and we're, we rotated our carrot field. Um, we always rotate, like we were saying. If you have a section for tomatoes, then we move it to the next section, and we rotate them around. So the carrots this year went into that sweet potato field that I was telling you about. And that field was not amended because sweet potatoes are scavengers. They do not like amendments. And so um, anyway, we had some carrots with real character in there. <laughs> we're wondering, is it the soil? What happened? You know, they, Edwin called them Halloween carrots. They were a little scary. <laughs> so learn from each other. Yeah.
0: Yes, absolutely. In the end, your own experimentation will give you the best planting times for your microclimate. You know, like my mom was mentioning about the carrots, we had to figure out when was the optimal time. And now we know when's the optimal window to get those carrots in in the fall so that they'll be um, to the right stage of maturity that we can be harvesting them all winter long. If you get them in too early, they grow too big before the winter sets in. Because as the winter sets in, they stop growing. Um, If you get them in too late, they don't get big enough. So you have that little window of opportunity. And your own experimentation will help with that besides finding out from other local gardeners. Um, I'll s- jump through here quickly. Uh, i talking about the starter house. If you do have a small hoop house or a place to start seeds inside, you can get a big jump start on the season by starting them inside, especially, and if you're just doing this at your home and you don't have a, uh, a, a, a hoop house or something like that, you can start them in your kitchen, um, just by the window, especially something to think about is tomatoes. If you want early tomatoes, start them inside and then you can plant them out later. Take into account that plants will grow slower when the days are shorter and the weather is cooler, kind of like I was mentioning, the carrots slowing down, and that will factor into when you need to plant your plants. And when it comes down, down to it and setting up your schedule, look on the, look on the packages. There's also, if you, if you want, I can share with you some resources for um, seed starting calculators. Uh, Like Johnny Selected Seeds has a free um, seed starting calculator. You put in your specific location when your last frost date is or when your first frost date is, and they'll calculate for you um, when it would be the best window to plant different crops. And so that's something that could be really helpful for you, um, just to give you a ballpark idea of when to be planting. When it comes down to it, we suggest that you map out your season on paper or with a garden planning software. Um, This will give you your planting dates and show when you can expect to be harvesting the different vegetables. Plugging this information into a calendar can really boost your efficiency. If you sit down at the beginning of the year and just map out your garden, put it into a calendar, then when it comes down to actually going through your year, you can just come and look and see, oh, this is what I need to do this week, and then you can go do it. And it doesn't have to constantly be on your mind trying to figure out, oh, no, what am, what am I supposed to be growing now? Do I need to be putting in carrots now? Do I need to be doing this or that? Then going to look at the catalog to try and figure it out. Figure it out all at once and put it into a calendar. This is something that we could learn better to do. <laughs> we, yeah,
2: I think gardening is like a language. It takes time to feel comfortable with um, how things grow. Like right now, even our carrots, we were they were pencil-sized the beginning of November. And I'm thinking, well, how are they going to get big enough? We got all this cold weather. It's only experience that gives you enough confidence that they're are they really going to make it? And a lot of prayer too. Just Lord, can you give us some warm days? And the Lord has helped us so many times with our carrots thickening up in time. But a lot of so it's we can relax more and trust more the more experience we have.
0: Um, Here are just a couple suggested planning tools. Uh, Graph paper is, of course, a very basic one. Um, There are also garden planning softwares that you can use. I don't have, um, I don't have a lot of experience with those. If you want some, if you want some examples, I can I can share with you some at some point, or you can Google it again. (laughs) Garden planning software. There's some free ones, and there's some ones that um, are like a subscription. See what vegetables to plant in your area. They also give you suggestions for any month of the year. And there are apps for your phone. And I can just give you one right now if you look in the app store for what to plant. Um, It's it's an app that you can just plug in your dates again. And it will give you a little visual of what you should be planting when. All right. Remember I mentioned uh, we have about 10 minutes left here. And I mentioned that we would jump into talking about seeds and so let's go ahead and let's go ahead and do that and see how far we can get through talking about seeds before we go into that
1: just briefly before we get into that what most of these these apps and garden planners um, will give you ideas for for planning unprotected crops um, if you if you're growing in a, in a hoops house or or have some other means of protection you'll be able to extend things a little bit more than that.
0: All right, all about seeds. Good seeds and good soil really are the two pillars of a successful garden. You really want good soil for your seeds to grow in, but you need good seeds too otherwise they'll never sprout or you might grow something that you don't want to be growing. <laughs> Without high quality seeds, all other activities are moot. And that's from the New Organic Grower by Elliot Coleman. So what about GMO, hybrid, open pollinated, pollinated and heirloom seeds? Dad, do you want to share? Some about these.
1: Sure, um, GMO or genetically modified seeds are ones. And you can read the definition here: the mechanical or biological transfer of genetic material outside of natural methods and between genera, families, or kingdoms. In other words, the gene for um, from an animal is placed inside a plant. I mean, that's a, a gross example, but that is that is the kind of thing that is being done for genetic modification. Um, a hybrid is the offspring of a cross between two or more varieties, usually of the same species. A hybrid is, you know, that two, two different carrots are, are crossed to get, Certain traits from each one, and there' and there, it's multiple crosses like that until they get the kind of traits that they're looking for in that carrot um hybrid hybrid seeds are usually developed from what I would call controlled um fertilization in in other words it, people are 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 somehow not not with the in the GMO sense, but they are somehow um helping to make sure that, that fertilization takes place in a in a controlled way so that they don't get unwanted um you know material in in their in their seeds. Yeah.
0: I think it's it's good to note here real quick that hybridization is a very it it is somewhat of a natural process. It's controlled, but it's also it's also very natural. It's working with a natural it's like breeding dogs. You know, you have many different breeds of dogs that have been bred together for different um, care quality traits. Um, so it's very it's very natural
1: in that sense. Yeah. Um, Open pollinated. Now, the what is a, a general characteristic of hybrids is that you can't save the seeds because the hybrid seeds will not show the characteristic of the of the the hybrid plant they they'll usually give you the characteristics of of the the parents that went into that you know one one or the other and so you they they don't breed true and f- for that reason you can save hybrid seeds but that you just can't guarantee that you'll get the results that you want yes a hybrid oh there's lots yeah, I mean, we on our farm we're we're a certified organic farm, but we grow a lot of hybrids because they are they usually have more disease resistance and they and they have more uniformity. If you're if you're looking if you're making a living growing plants, it's you can trust a hybrid generally more than you can trust an open pollinated. Um, they 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 have less uniformity. A lot of corn is hybrid. Yeah, sweet corn. Most sweet corn is hybrid. Um, you you can't you can't get a an open up pollinated corn that's as sweet as a as a hybrid sweet corn, for example. Open pollinated means that the the seed will breed true to the um, you know if you save seed it'll the what you get from that seed will be like the the parent. Um, heirloom is open pollinated. Heirloom just means it's an old variety that's been saved for years and years. So um, open pollinated are not all heirlooms, but all heirlooms are open pollinated, if that makes sense. We do use some, yeah. It, it just depends, but... what? When I when I talk about dependability, I'm what I mean is they hybrids tend to mature more at the same time. If you if you plant a bunch of the same thing, mo- they'll generally all mature at about the same time. Whereas an open pollinated, you you'll have um, a, a, a bigger window in which they're maturing. Sometimes that's an advantage for us, and sometimes we don't want that
2: heirloom tomatoes, um, they're more perishable. They get cracks in them, you know, and then you're going to get fruit flies in there or disease. So there are a lot of hybrid tomatoes that are delicious, but they're a little bit, they're more standard, you know, in the looks. And they, they ship well or they go to market well. And a lot of people love them. They taste delicious too, but they've just uh, bred them to produce a tomato that's more marketable or, yeah.
1: But a lot of the high the heirlooms beat the hybrids in in taste you know it,
2: and that's always debatable too people right. will will take a hybrid tomato in mind go i've never tasted anything so good so it's all everybody's opinions are different well my dad is a geneticist and he always said that the people <laughs> we we marry in different races we marry different groups and he always says that they're stronger the hybrids are stronger so Um, we don't think of that with people much but our traits are mixed and we we get um, strong genes a lot of times from different parentage
0: in many in many ways we all are hybrids Um, so the the important thing to factor uh, one important point here that I want to make is that there's a lot of talk about GMOs going around and some people might you know might not have heard of hybrids before, and it's like, oh, a hybrid, what's that? It's not. It, basically, the only thing on this list that we would suggest you not growing is the GMOs. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, and we can't go into all of those right now. Okay, so she's got a question. She was wondering, since we're organic and we're not growing GMOs, what do we what do we use for fertilizer? Because uh, a lot of the cottonseed meal and soybean meal is uh, GM- genetically modified. You know what? Let's save that question for the the session with Steve Meyer. He's going to be sharing about um he's going to be sharing about building up a healthy soil and that would go into that, you know, adding the fertilizers and stuff like that for that.
1: Actually, organic certification does not require that you use non-GMO soil amendments. You you can. We have recently made a decision to that we want to try to avoid using those and so we are we are cutting out a lot of things that we used to use for that reason
0: i'll just give you one more thing as is, is worm castings can be something that that can be used now you might want to check and see what kind of silage the worms were were going through but that's something that we use all right our time is running out here um Let me just finish a couple things here. Thoughts to consider with seeds. GMO seeds don't have a track record yet. Well, they do kind of have a track record now. Um, Serious health and environmental concerns continue to mount. Um, Hybrid seeds are not evil. Hybrid seeds can have added vigor, uniformity, and disease resistance. This is just a recap. Hybrid seeds will not reproduce true to type. So if you're wanting to save your seeds, then go with an open pollinated or with an heirloom. There is evidence that nutritional content may be superior in the um, open pollinated varieties, like was just commented. Um, If you want to save your own seed, you need to use open pollinated seeds. I said that saving seed can be difficult and complicated. You need a guidebook, a good book to guide you. It doesn't necessarily have to be that difficult. um, But you do, there are different ways to save seeds from different plants. Yeah, it's not that hard. She said, (laughs) yeah, you might end up with a hybrid
1: yeah and i mean that's one it, it's seed saving is not hard but still there's there's a lot you need to learn and for example if you're wanting to to save squash seed you have to there there are four families of of squashes and and they will um each family will cross pollinate within that family and so you you can't plant two different varieties of squash to save seeds unless you have half a mile distance between them. And so you might not only want to, you know, check what you're growing, but check what your neighbors are growing if you want to save squash seeds.
2: If you don't want to save squash seeds, you're going to have funny looking squashes that look like they're half a Hubbard squash and half a butternut.
0: All right, tell you what, it's time It's time for us to wrap up. So we're gonna stop here and I'll, in the next session, I'll continue from here and we'll come back and we'll talk about now where do you find the good seeds that you want to, uh, to grow, if you're wanting to grow the, how can you make sure that the seeds you're um, growing aren't gen- genetically modified in, in essence and some s- things to consider with finding your seeds and then we'll go into bed preparation and practical aspects of bed preparation.